This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. We've reached 2003 in the time capsule. Are you ready for this week's quiz question? Yeah, I am. This is the voice of a huge star of a show that launched in 2003, talking about why it was so successful, and your job is to name the show. It wasn't a reality show. It very much was a soap, a drama. And it was that whole Southern California glorifying that idea of moving to the West Coast and that good old-fashioned story of the rich girl and the boy from the wrong side of the tracks and like all that original drama. It's the California dream. Yeah. Easy. Definitely. Straightforward. Okay, don't don't say anything. Did you enjoy that show, Chris? I was a big fan. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah. That seems like one you would enjoy. Not of her. I was a big fan of her chum. (laughs) Okay. All right, that should be a clue then. I want to move on to some of the stories. 2003, certainly a busy year in politics, in global events. We're going to gloss right through that. I've got a story that I think is probably my favorite of all the random weird news stories that uh, we have uh, covered on the time capsule the headline reads as follows earache man gets vasectomy (laughs) okay a brazilian man who went to a clinic to have a checkup on an aching ear ended up having a vasectomy after mistakenly believing that the doctor had called his name (gasps) a manager at the dr jose carlos de espirito santo clinic in monte claros in the southeastern state of minas Gerais, apparently told reuters that valdemar lopez de moraes 39 years of age entered the vasectomy room when aldemar aparecido rodriguez's name was called he said the strangest thing is that he asked no questions (laughs) when the doctor started preparations in the area which had so little to do with his ear he later explained that he thought it was an ear inflammation that had made its way and i quote here down south oh no um mr de mores a farmer who at the time has two children Uh, i presume he's probably no longer a farmer but either way said that he did not want to reverse the operation which was performed uh it says in the news story it was performed i think in july august of 2003 and the great thing is a week later he showed up for an ear exam at the same clinic (laughs) (laughs) he did not want to reverse the procedure tells me that it was a lucky accident for him he was done with two yeah yeah, exactly he was happy to have that procedure he he was probably receiving a bit of pressure to perhaps contemplate a third you know what and it was just a whoops yeah ear examination oops i've had a vasectomy I don't think this was an accident at all. I, I think Valdemar think Lopez de Mares knew exactly what he was doing. He whistled into that house when he got back. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, right, how about this for a story? The bees are on their knees. Is I came up with this headline. So, <laughs> well done, you. Yeah. Well, well done. I'm going to take I don't credit. know if it's a good headline because we don't know the story yet. Well, queen bees were stung by new EU rules that year. They were made to slum it, apparently, under new European Union import rules, which only allowed a retinue of 20 bees to accompany the queen on her travel, on her transit. The EU was limiting the size of bumble and honeybee batches being imported into Europe to stop exotic pests like the small hive bee 
beetle and the parasitic mite from hitting the continent. So usually there would be no limit on the number of worker bees that would accompany a queen bee on her journey. Right. So normally a queen bee might have a couple hundred bees. Exactly. All fussing over. the way and, yeah. In 2003, they limited the queen bee to just 20 worker bees. Exactly, exactly. Think of it as, like, you know... Scale back. Scale back royal family. That's what Prince Charles wants, right? Exactly. He wants to scale it back. That's exactly what it is. A stripped-down entourage. Yeah. Mm. Essentially. Um, This was also the year that Aaron Ralston, the hiker who was trapped in the Utah Canyon, took a very extreme measure to make his escape. That later inspired the Danny Boyle film 127 Hours, starring James Franco... Aaron's still a man we're trying to track down we are. on this show. Yeah, we are. He was stranded in that remote wilderness. Don't want to spoil the film. I'm sure many of you are aware of this. Trapped by an enormous boulder that had landed on his arm during a horrific uh, canyoneering accident. Uh, he was certain that he was going to die. And then let's just say he took rather extreme measures to extricate himself from that. And then he staggered to safety a quite remarkable survival tale. In other news, 2003 was also the year that Concorde made its final flight. That's right. Uh, it was due to an accident, right? Americans renamed French fries Freedom Fries <laughs> in protest to France's stand on Iraq. Um, 2003's movies. Let's start with Chris McCarty's choice. I have been hired to help suppress the rebellion of yet another tribal leader. Apparently... This is the only job for which I am suited. What is your name? You kept me alive just to speak English. Then what do you want? To know my enemy. The Last Samurai oh. there. Have you never seen it? No. Never seen it either. Oh. You know, I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan. Right. You know, you so said that you're, you're a big hero to, fan. You're going to have to sell this. Yeah, okay. I haven't seen Hero. I'm going to bet. I'll make <laughs> is a this bet Minority Report meets Hero? <laughs> I'm going to make a bet with you. Last Samurai is better than Hero. Oh, no, 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 Last no. Last Samurai is incredible. Tom Cruise in Last Samurai. And I think you've got a stat for me that I was aware of. He what spent he two years learning Japanese yeah. and sword play in preparation for the film. It's an amazing movie. And, I, and I'll stick my hand cool up and say... How would it be to learn sword play? Well, there's a joke how, there. there's a gag in there. How, how ridiculous is it that he could take two years out to learn right. sword he play? He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have taken two years out. He would have done it. That's what it says. All of, his other, says. all of his other... He's filming Minority Report the previous year. And he would have just been learning Japanese in the mornings or in the evenings. It's a great movie. I'll stick my hand up and say I'm not embarrassed to admit I did shed a tear at the end of Last Samurai as well. You, you guys need to oh, watch no, it. I'm, you know what? When you can my, recommend it when it's your turn. When it's my turn to make the homework on a Thursday, you're both watching Last Samurai. The other stat it. is it was filmed in New Zealand, not Japan. That's correct, yeah. Popular time for films in New Zealand with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and yeah. Last Samurai and no, no other films that I can think of off the top of my head. Beautiful sweeping vistas, why not? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you've got two there, Rob. Well, yeah. Right. yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, probably, probably could have done with one or two more to make that statement <laughs> confidently. Uh, Sonal, you have gone for what exactly? Well, I've gone for the Martin Lawrence-Will Smith duo, the sequel. You didn't tell Marcus about us. No. Mike, he's my brother, okay? Don't be scared. Whoa, hey, I ain't say I was scared. Just... Oh. Something wrong with your brother. Mike, did you notice when we left, everybody was dead? No, no. We didn't kill the one dude. 
This has got to be the worst, most emotional cop week of my life. Yeah, it's been a little rough. Uh, listen, I'm not going to pretend like I remember a whole lot from this movie, but I do remember... I was going to ask you for a full critical review. <laughs> I do remember Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2 as well, the sequel. It was just, they had a fun dynamic. It was like a fun action flick. I feel like That's sometimes it. when action flicks take themselves too seriously, it's like, you just don't want to watch car chase after car chase. You need the dynamic between the characters, and I felt like they had good chemistry. I always felt one was gritty, one's the best of the bunch. Yeah. The, the, the second one, they sell out. Michael Bay's the director of Memory Serves, and it's big, it's bold, it's brash. Yeah. It's a great watch with popcorn. The third one, I actually, during lockdown, uh, watched the third the, one. The third one was how recent? A couple of years ago now. Bad Boys for Life, yeah, out last year. It yeah. is horrendous. Yeah, I didn't it's even try to watch good. it. No, it's terrible. Collider.com, on their official review of Bad Boys 2, said it's a disaster portrait painted by an artist with Uzis for hands. It's a chaotic sonnet composed on a monster energy drink can. I can't tell if that's a compliment or an insult. It's, it's a compliment. They're, they're, they're trying to say that it's a, it's a larger-than-life action yeah. flick. Correct. The, the insinuation actually being that it's very much paved the way for future <laughs> films in that genre. It's I also like this in the review. It is undoubtedly the peak of Bayhem Mountain, mm. as in of Michael Bay. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, so that was a very poetic review. Someone had probably too much time on their hands, that reviewer. So my selection for movie of the year is this. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down, and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Kill Bill, Uma Thurman. Uh, never really, I don't think, listed among Tarantino's very best movies. But name me a better revenge movie. Revenge. Spread over two parts. It was absolutely brilliant. Hattori Hanzo, the sword, the Japanese culture. It was everything. And I've got a really long Tarantino quote for this film. But essentially, um, Uma Thurman, they started talking about this while they were shooting Pulp Fiction, which was, ooh, nine years prior to that. And... Um, she sort of earmarked herself as the only actress that Tarantino would consider to play this role. The pregnant bride... Sorry, the bride who was murdered and then sought revenge, if that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, she was pregnant, and um, Tarantino said... It's a great quote, this. He told this to the BBC. He said, ''Do I wait for her or not?'' He said, um, this is my samurai movie, this is my badass chick movie, this is my spaghetti western and my comic book movie, but it's also my Joseph von Sternberg movie, and if Joseph von Sternberg is getting ready to make Morocco and Marlene Dietrich gets pregnant, he waits for Dietrich. Hello. I don't know wow. who Joseph von Sternberg is. I guess we need William Mullally. <laughs> I don't think in. we need to know to get the context exactly. of that. Yeah. Exactly. So he did. He waited for her. I think he obviously waited a year or so, and they went ahead and made... That that two-part movie. But you, have you seen it, Chris? Uh, I've seen the first one. I haven't never got around never, to seeing never, the second never part. Never liked it. It's a bit like Breaking Bad for me. I watched a little bit, and then mm. it just never never cajoled me into to watching the end of Breaking Bad and the second part of Kill Bill. Okay, producer Rog has nominated the following. Dewey Finn would have sold his soul for rock and roll, but nobody oh! was buying Maybe it's time to give up those dreams. Don't you miss rocking out? You're not a teacher, Ned. You're the cross-dressing incubus from Maggot Death. I'm a sub, and soon I'll be a certified teacher. 
This is Mr. Schneebly. I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. Mm-hmm. So how much are we talking here? Six fifty a week. Hello, this is Ned Schneebly. <laughs> School of Rock, Jack Black. And my little stat for you on this film is that he had to beg to use the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. He videoed himself singing in front of a huge crowd of people, begging Led Zeppelin to let them use the song in the movie. They succeeded, and the song was featured in a scene where Black sings along to the tune when it comes on the radio in his van, uh, for um, prompting him to say it was corny, but it worked. The moral of the story is don't be too proud to beg. Yeah, I've seen School of Rock. It's, it's, it's a fun, kind of, I would call it a family movie, a kind of family movie. There's a bit of innuendo in there, but it's, it's fun, is what School of Rock is. And Rog, well done for nominating. Lots of other big films in 2003. We're not going to dwell on this one. The final uh, film of the trilogy of Lord of the Rings was released, The Return of the King. Um, it was the culmination of an epic saga which saw Frodo and Sam journey to the Black the Black Mount, was it called? Mordor. Mount Mordor. Sauron. Mount Doom. No. Mount Doom, I think it was. Right. Uh, to obviously do away with um, the One Ring. Anyway, a little stat for you on this. Once the shooting of the trilogy was finished, Pete Jackson, the director, gave one of the rings used in the movies to Elijah Wood and the other to Andy Serkis, who played Gollum. Mm. Both Wood and Serkis thought they had the only one. <laughs> Very good. We had a couple of more big films that we do need to just uh, pay homage to from 2003. First of all, this one from Pixar. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. How's it going, Bob? That's a big place to find one thing. Does anybody see my son? You son Chico? No, it's Nemo. We're looking for Nemo. <laughs> Name's Crush. I gotta find my son Nemo! Grab shell, dude! I grab what? Now, apparently, the uh, the quote from this film when it was pitched to the chief creative officer of Pixar was, you had me at fish. <laughs> really? That was all it took wow. to get this project off the ground. And the expressions of the fish in the film, I've learned today, were modelled on one of the most expressive members of the animal kingdom, dogs. Really? Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. So they were the inspiration for the facial expressions of these various different sea creatures. You've not seen Finding Nemo, have you? I have you not, no. It's definitely... Oh, it's up your street as well. It's definitely a good film. Yeah. I, I remember enjoying it a lot. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. You, have you seen it, Chris? I've seen it, yeah. Not a kid, not, not a fan. I mean, give me Toy Story every day of the week okay. over Nemo. In fact, you know, what's the Madagascar one in Madagascar? I, I'd mm. take it over Finding Nemo as well. Other films of the year, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Elf, Monster, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, Hulk. Love Actually. Big Fish, Love Actually, mm. and two Matrix films, Matrix Revolutions and Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. Really wish they didn't do those sequels. And they're about I wish that wasn't a trilogy. That's wow. right, they are doing a fourth. Yeah. In terms of TV, Arrested Development, Ooh. the OC, which was the answer to that quiz question that Misha Barton. got, Misha Barton, and yeah. Mythbusters launched in 2003. Let's move on, though, to music, if we can. And Sonal, your choice for Song of the Year well, is what? I want to say, first of all, that I was deliberating. I almost went with Stacy's mom, has got it going on, <laughs> but I ended up going with this.
regrets of not what picking Stacey's mom? No, what can I say? It's lasted the test of time. That guitar riff just gets you every time. Uh, it's just a mood. I enjoy Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, is actually the title of this song I discovered originates from what Jack White thought the Salvation Army was called when he was a kid. Huh. Seven Nation Army. It deals with his rising popularity and the negatives that came with it. Who Ooh. knew that deep lyrics could be buried yeah. in that? I never listened to the lyrics of songs like I that. Have it's no, all about the music. Exactly. I have no idea what the lyrics to that song are. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. No. Uh, Chris, your pick, please. I've gone for... <laughs> you'll laugh at this. I have gone for a Dutch vocal trance group. <laughs> the name is Four Strings, and it's this. The reason that's get chosen because it was the first lads' holiday for me back in oh. this year, and there was well, a special. Was it, uh, it was to Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> it was even worse than that, Rob. It was to Benidorm. Oh no! And there was a there was a cracking night that I po- can't possibly go into details on. And this song was the song of that evening. So, yeah, good memories. I, I remember things. most of the sort of dance classics yeah. from that era because. Yeah, just being at uni, the age you are. But I do not remember that one at all. I feel like because that one, I haven't heard that one, I don't think, since 2003. Probably. I remember it from back then, <laughs> but I don't think it's endured. You know how some some songs just get played over the years? It's here endured and on my playlist. Yeah. So it pops up it's every now and again. makes an appearance. Um, I've gone for a, a random choice. Um, this was the first album released by Kings of Leon. And it is completely unlike any subsequent Kings of Leon album. And this is my chosen choice track if you listen to this album it's youth and young manhood it is the most energetic country southern country rock album you could possibly hear every song is just edgy it's got an amazing energy and it's complete change or change it was I suppose the it was the forebearer of all their kind of stadium mm. albums where they became a huge mega band and frankly I just didn't think they did. I think I'm with you. I think I prefer this sound. Yeah, it was just a more raw kind of authentic sound if you like. That was the Kings of Leon breakout album. Producer Rog has gone for the following. This actually appeared on the Kill Bill movie. Think of an owl when I hear that. <laughs> the five, six, seven, eights. Woohoo. Yeah. From producer Rog. Like it. Didn't get a more of an explanation other than that it was on the Kill Bill volume one there from Rog. So that's his nomination for track of the year. The one that you're about to click on next, I've got to say I'm on board with this one, Rob. Uh, at the time I remember when this was released, there was a bit of controversy around this. Big fan. That song by 
Tattoo. Tattoo. T-A-T-U. Yeah, tattoo. Um, I don't know whether that's important to pronounce it like that, but they were the fourth most searched musical artist of 2003, behind only Eminem, Shakira and Britney Spears. Yeah, they were two Russian ladies. Yeah. Okay, that's... <laughs> just draw a line under that. It was quite controversial, wasn't it? It was a little, yeah. Their portrayal. Uh, the next song is one that was just all over the charts in 2003, uh, By The Darkness. A great line from the New York Times. Apparently, they wrote this song sticks to the listener like hair gel. <laughs> so well written, that. Yeah, it's good. so precise, and it is very catchy. I have to say. A lot of people were confused as to whether the Darkness were a parody act or not, huh. or whether they were a genuine glam rock act and I don't think anyone really ever worked that one out because um, it was kind of a saviour, it was portrayed as being a saviour of rock and roll and a send up of it all in one go was The Darkness um, in terms of catchy songs though, this one is a definite contender from 2003 this was Jet's first hit song. It was also the first song to be used in an iPod commercial. What's it? Um, which did wonders for the popularity of the song and presumably of iPods as well. I feel like I almost remember this because it was the people sort of shadow dance, like shadows of people yeah, dancing. That's yeah, it. I remember those ads. Yeah. Were you quick on the iPod bandwagon? Yeah, relatively. I did. I like that. I like the idea of having a separate device just for your music. Mm. Completely. Still. I kind of yeah. miss them, actually. Yeah. I enjoyed the iPod. I remember getting the 64 gig one, which just you, oh, could, you, could, pretty you, much, you could pretty much have every... <laughs> you know, Everyone was getting 16 <laughs> Robbie down in no, Buckinghamshire. Yeah. 64 <laughs> Robbie. That's for getting nine no, no, red no. marks. <laughs> that would have been about my third or fourth iPod. Because you remember, you used to go through them all the time, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I think I had maybe two or three in all. In they total. were always adding memory great. and making it seem like you needed the next one because it had a new wheel design or whatever. Um, this was, just to wrap up the indie rock, section of our little look back on 2003 this was the rapture's second album um it's uh, a song called house of jealous lovers This was rated 16th and 6th, respectively, on Pitchfork and Enemy's Tracks of the Decade list. Really? Can't say that yeah. I've heard it before. Yeah, Rapture. Um, I'm deliberately staying away, or at least as much as possible, from the generic mainstream world like of it. pop. I like was... it. I feel like we've moved away from that. I'm digging it. Yeah, because, let's be honest, there's only so much Beyonce you can listen to, isn't there? But that's yeah. exactly what we're going to do now, because this song was the monster hit of 2003. <laughs> Beyonce? Yeah, of course. You know I like Beyonce. This was uh, the same year as Bonnie and Clyde as well, I feel like. Was it? Remember Bonnie and Clyde? 
I do. Casey, Beyonce. Yeah, I do remember it. Was that the same year? Ah, oh, potentially, yeah. Um, I did just clip up this just for Chris's benefit. I, I suspected this might be Chris's choice for the year. Maybe, certainly in the top five for Chris. Chris's new favourite uh, nationality. It was a Danish pop duo. Oh, nice. Junior Senior. Um, Tell you that what, released I'll be this moving one. my feet if Denmark win on Wednesday. Yeah, this is going to become sure. your anthem for the Euros, isn't it, Chris? If Denmark win on Wednesday, it will. And then finally, for, t- for the music, just, just to wrap it up. Now, you can pick your poison here. Um, you are going to listen to one Sean Paul song. Sean Paul. Uh, are we going to go in the ball? Chris, do you want Blue <laughs> oh, Control or do you want Get Busy Like Glue? Definitely Get Busy. <sighs> Either or. I'll take my headphones off. Can't believe you didn't go for Blue Cantrell. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. This is definitely better than the Blue Cantrell one. Definitely. You know what? Say what you will about it now, however many years later, but I feel like it was a really different sound at the time for mainstream Yeah, there's no doubt it was a very yeah. different sound. Yeah. <laughs> Whether that's a good or a bad thing, who knows? We've still got the sport to go. So 2003, a couple of big things happened that year. I know Chris is going to be a little bit torn about what happened in the sport back in this year because there was a great moment for him. A couple of great moments for him, actually. Yeah. And maybe one that he will not regard so fondly. Mm. Um, how about this one? This is Cristiano Ronaldo's first ever Man United interview and he was aided by Gary Neville. Yes, Cristiano, how did you enjoy tonight? Yeah, it's, it's a good game. It's a good performance. Team win, it's important. Are you feeling more and more confident with each game? <laughs> no, I understand. Are you, are you confident? <laughs> I understand, sorry. Gary, he's looking confident anyway, Gary. Yeah, he is confident. He's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you won one of the match, well done. Yeah. <laughs> you go. <Thank> you. <laughs> no, yeah, he's very confident and he always wants the ball and he dribbles at players and makes it very difficult for them. And tonight, um, you know, Ian Walker had to make a lot of good saves from him. I just pulled that out because it just struck me. He has mastered four or five languages which he speaks fluently and um, he has become widely regarded uh, four as... Four or five? Uh, Portuguese... Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, English. I'm not sure he's fluent in, in, in Italian yet. He may well be, but yeah, listen, he's a talented guy on the field, off the field, listening to that, and listen, when he came off the bench, I still remember it as if it was yesterday, Bolton Wanderers, Old Trafford, Man United won 4-0, he came on with 20 minutes to go, and he got a standing ovation when he came on, and, and what he did in those little 20 minutes, you knew you had. Did I think he would go on to do what he's done? Maybe not, but you knew you had a sensational player on your hands he spent six years at Man United people forget that he's mm. still a Man United legend he's a Real Madrid legend and he's bidding a polyglot there we go P- polyglot thank there you go. very much Rob yeah, that's it. Um, yeah and he's, he's obviously aiming to become a Juventus legend as well he certainly is uh, speaking of Juventus they were beaten in uh, uh, the Champions League final by AC Milan the first ever all Italian European Cup yeah, final thank 2003 goodness. and three of the four semi-finalists were from Italy because AC Milan beat Inter in one of the semi-finals Juve beat Real Madrid awful final in the other Um, but the less said I suppose about that the better in the Rugby World Cup the final in Australia went to extra time it was England versus Australia it was 17 apiece and then this happened again Wilkinson in the place Johnny Wilkinson he's done it it's over at last of the fourth attempt Johnny Wilkinson is on target England in the lead with only 20 seconds to go. Not to 
be, take the yardage, set him up, he won't miss, he won't keep missing, now a crucial kick-off, that's the drop goal. Remember that one. I still have a vivid memory of watching that because it was on very, very early in the, in the UK. It was yeah. on about 9am. I'd gone around to some friends and watched it and it was just absolutely nail-biting. Yeah, it was an incredible game of rugby. I actually cheered when he, he did it, it hit that drop goal. I was, yeah, massive. Back then, England, certainly the rugby team, doesn't offend me, doesn't rub me up the wrong way as the England football team does. And I do remember genuinely jumping out of my bed. I watched it in bed, jumped out, genuinely cheered when Johnny Wilkinson scored that uh, drop goal because it was a culmination of an awful lot of hard work for Clive Woodward and Martin Johnson. The work that went into that England team, it was destiny and they got the job done that yeah, day. Yeah, amazing finish to that match and still England's only ever victory in the Rugby World Cup. In terms of tennis well, Roger Federer at the age of 21 won his first Wimbledon title. He beat Mark Philippoussis 7-6 6-2, 7-6 and this again Really, I do not remember Roger. If you ever catch an interview with Roger now, he is smoothness personified, but the moment was a bit too much for him when interviewed by Sue Barker. Roger Federer, Wimbledon champion. You better get used to that. <laughs> Thank you. No, um, it's, it's an absolute uh, dream for me coming true, and I was always joking around when I was a boy. <laughs> I'm going to win this. And... <laughs> I have it. You're not going to let them take that away for a while, are you? I don't know. I think I have to leave it here, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> um, it's such a nice trophy, and I'm just so happy the way I played and never thought possible to win a Grand Slam. He's an emotional bloke, is Roger. Is. But, yeah, he has an amazing to think. 18 years ago, that was when he was 21. He's knocking on 40 now, and he's going for his ninth at this year's tournament, 18 years after he won his first. Yeah, incredible. It's extraordinary. I mean, he's, he's the master. He's done so well at bottling those emotions because he is an emotional guy. You read his unofficial biography, you know, the real temper tantrums as a young boy, and mm. he's managed to channel that all in the right way, and he's still going at 40. Final one, golf. Weirdest year ever for golf in the major championships. The winners that year, Mike Weir, first lefty to win the Masters. Jim Furyk, his only ever major championship success at Olympia Fields in the US Open. Ben Curtis, the lowest-ranked player ever to win a major, 396th in the official World Golf Rankings when he won the Open in 2003. And, not to be outdone, Sean McKeel was ranked 169th in the official World Golf Rankings when he won the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. Name me a more bizarre, weirder... Year than yeah, that. I mean, I'm not sure what to say about that. That was not one of golf's finest years, that's for sure. Mike Weir, Canada's favourite son. That's what I we think can the say press that. at that time were going, come back, Tiger, all is forgiven on that front. But there you have it. There's the sport for 2003. Did you enjoy the year, Chris? Yeah, I did. Sport, yeah, sport was a good year in 03. Music and film, a bit meh, mm. in all honesty. So? Giving it a six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Six it's a low mark for you. It is. That, that means you hated it. Is that it. my lowest mark? It, it might could be. be. We'll get the boffins researching that. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.